This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. Happy Friday, my friends. How are you? How are things going? Are you ready for the weekend? I certainly am. Are you ready to, you know, do this thing? <laughs> okay. So, uh, Rashida Tlaib loves the BDS movement more than she loves her own grandma. Yeah. So this story is unfolding like a reality TV show. And I don't mind telling you, I'm here for it. I am so glad that they're providing us with this top shelf entertainment um, and yeah, if you're asking me if I'm enjoying it, yeah, it would be rude not to. It would be rude of me to ignore this story as it unfolds, especially since it's the weekend and I've got cool armed citizen um, gun stories for you. You know, I subscribe to America's First Freedom. Um, and so I have those cool stories for you coming up later on the show. And we are going to be doing some kind of super fun, just we're going to run down the news as we do on Fridays. And um, so if you're if you're seated or if you're if you're riding in your car, or whatever you're doing, um, you know what I want you to do? I just just ease in and enjoy. And uh, let's get this thing started. So first off, I I'm so excited about our uh, encouragement for today. So let's get into that. Um, and this week we've been doing encouragement for our spiritual encouragement. So be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. That's 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's John sixteen thirty three. And then Proverbs 14.23 says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So I want to focus on that one as we go into the weekend, because there's some there's some things we can do um, to make sure that we stay encouraged. And I know if you if you ever get, do you ever get sluggish and you just wake up and you think, ah, you know, and there just seems to be nothing that's super exciting about the day. And that happens to all of us sometimes. Sometimes you just, when you wake up, it's, I think people call it waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe you're not grumpy so much as you're just like, yeah, no, like you, you're just not feeling it. So um, when, when you wake up like that, you have to, well, first of all, go to your word. Um, that's the first thing you want to do in the morning. So jump in there and think about how God says all hard work brings a profit. So one of my friends who I love dearly, and she's a very talented writer and speaker. And I remember working super hard. It was a few years back when I was working on a gubernatorial campaign on the Republican side. And it was a short-lived gig because, you know, working outside the home with my kids being as small as they were, it was kind of me doing something. I was asked to do the job. I was so excited to be asked, but I didn't really think through like, what am I doing in the summertime and all that stuff. So the time I spent on the campaign was amazing, but it was grueling, exhausting work. And I saw her at a campaign event we were putting on at, at a friend's house. And there were maybe 50 people packed into her home. She has a very nice home. She's so packed in. And um, my friend said, how's everything going? And I said, oh, it's it's exhausting. It's grueling. And I don't know if this is worth it. And you know, she said, oh, I know what you mean. She said, just pray about it. But None of your work is wasted. So if it feels like you're working, but you're not seeing anything come from that, or you're working and you're just not sure, she said, don't, don't, don't take that position. None of your work is wasted. The Bible says that. So instead of uh, thinking that way, just be of, of strong heart and mind and keep going. And she was right. All hard, hard work brings a profit. That's what Proverbs 14, 23 says. But it is, that's not the whole verse. It also says, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So if you think about ideas and you talk about them, but you don't ever pull the trigger, then you won't earn anything from that. Good can't come from that. So every bit of work that we put in is worth it. Every bit of work will bring a profit to us. It may not be immediately obvious, but it will be 
what in, in God's timing, it will come to us and we will be blessed. The Bible also says in uh, Psalms that the blessings of the Lord will chase you down and overtake you. And that's where I constantly, I, I just strive to get into that place where God's blessings are literally chasing me down. And then I can experience that fullness, which that overflows out from you into the lives of those around you, which is such a fantastic thing to see when other people can be blessed by what God has given to you. So that's encouraging. That's Friday, a week of encouragement during the encouragement segment. I love this week's worth of encouragement. I love the scriptures that we were able to share this week. As always, you can find them at listen.stacyontheright.com when the podcast is up and live just a few minutes after the show. Um, the, all of the show notes are there and it's so much awesome. Okay. It's, it's like the best thing ever. Fireside is such a great podcast host for allowing us to have those things. And then you can always find out more about me at stacyontheright.com. I want to also point you to a piece that I wrote over at LifeZet. Uh, LifeZet is the Laura Ingram fantastic property she has there. Um, just it's the best. And, um, it is a wonderful place to read about border security, draining the swamp, election 2020, traditional values, constitutional freedoms, videos, and more. And, um, my piece is actually up on the homepage. It's Trump is not one to be hoodwinked. Here's why he must watch Powell, federal reserve chairman Powell. And, um, so I would love it if you'd go over to LifeSet and check it out. Um, and what I'll do is I actually let me do this right now while I'm talking to you. I will put this on the show notes as well. It's so quick and easy. It's like a couple of clicks. The best thing ever for uh, podcasters is to be able to have your backup stuff that goes um, right along with what you're doing for the show. So I love that. Um, so there we go. And we might circle back around to that later on in the program, but I'm, I'm have to be cognizant of the time. I'm always, I'm in the mode where I, I'm used to having the two hours. And so with, with one hour, I have to kind of say, like I, I build up the show and then I'm like, well, will we get to everything? So, um, we will, obviously we will. So first off, let's get over to, um, so we had that, that, Peace on Life Set, which we're not going to go to right this second. We're going to actually talk about Israel and Tlaib. So get your laughing muscles ready. So this is how it works. You have a congressional delegation, which is normally about 30 people. But if more than one congressperson goes, then, you know, it can get it can get pretty large. So you have these people planning to travel to Israel and they'd actually got a uh, like in other words, it's a, it's, since it's a large group and since the people who are traveling are quote finger important, um, they have to send off ahead. So instead of just getting a regular visa, I mean, obviously they have to have visas, but they're, con- they're Congress people. So they're traveling in and they're expecting to be treated in a diplomatic fashion. So when they, um, you know, when they, when they sent over their information, that they were, this is Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar planning to visit Jerusalem and several West Bank cities. Now, first of all, just stop right there. What do you think they were going to do? If you're like me, if you're, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you, if you spend any time around children, don't you just love it when you see kids, you see their brains working and they're cooking something up and they come over and ask you an innocent question. And if you're, you know, on your phone or watching television or heavily involved in cleaning or washing dishes or cooking or something, and you're distracted, they can put one over on you. Can I go to so-and-so's house? And you're like, yeah, whatever. And then you, then as they start walking away, you think, now, wait a minute, so-and-so that just got in trouble for X or so-and-so whose parents believe X or what. And then you, you realize, oh, the children have gotten together and they've made a plan and they want to do something. And all they need is that one little bit of permission from you. And they're going to go in and, and, Things could go perfectly and they could just have fun or it could go off the rails and it's your job as a parent to prevent that from happening. Now, that analogy works on the small scale of the family unit. Think of it now. Israel actually has a law that says if you participate in BDS, which stands for Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions, which is a Palestinian-led global movement that seeks to destroy the economic prospects of the nation state of Israel, if you're a participant in that, you're not allowed to come to their house. That's 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 the rule that they have. And 
they actually enforce it. That's what's so brilliant about it because we have a ton of really cool laws like that, but we don't enforce ours. So all kinds of people come in here. I mean, if we enforce the laws we have on the book, Tlaib and Omar wouldn't be able to be sitting members of Congress because at one point in this country, you couldn't be a Muslim and be in Congress. Okay, I digress. So their plan visit, they were going to troll around a bunch of West Bank cities and they were going to have cameras on them and they were going to say the most awful things about Israel, just like they do when they're in the US, but they were going to do it on Israel's soil. Basically a big, huge middle finger to this country that Tlaib should be grateful to because her grandmother is a resident there. Her grandmother chooses to live in Israel where she could live anywhere, right? Couldn't she immigrate someplace else? Again. So here they are making this plan, sending her information over, both of the congresswomen. And Israel was like, whoa, both of y'all. <laughs> and because people are saying it's Donald Trump. It's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump has created a bit of ruckus online and that's, that's his thing. You know what? I mean, what are we going to do? Just continually harp on that or are we going to accept it? But Israel knows when prominent Americans support BDS. They probably keep a list. I mean, wouldn't you? So she says she's coming on in and that she's bringing her road dog, her squad member, her ride or die, Omar. They're going to bring their headscarf wearing the little selves on into the country, which that's not actually against the law in Israel. You can wear a headscarf if you want. So then Israel is like, y'all can't come. So then Tlaib pledged in a letter to conduct the visit in line with restrictions imposed by Israel so that she could come in and visit her grandma. So Israel was like, okay, well, if you pledge to do that, you can come in. They didn't say you and your friend can come in. They said, no, you can come in under a humanitarian visa under the auspices of visiting your grandma, which means just I'm just inferring here. But I would I would assume logic tells us that if she's doing a humanitarian visit to visit a relative, she's not going to visit several West Bank cities she might get to go to Jerusalem, but she won't be able to do it as a public official. She won't be able to have cameras. She won't be able to talk and create a movement while she's there. So then Tlaib uh, receives this, this, they, they acquiesce. They say, sure, you can come under what you've promised. And then I'm sure Palestinians um, who wanted her to come and, and shine a light on them and give them a, a chance to spew more hateful rhetoric towards Israel probably reached out to her and said, what do you mean you're going to go if, if as a humanitarian, you know, visiting your grandma is not imp- as important as the BDS movement. And so now she says she's not going, which is why I've entitled today's show that uh, Tlaib loves the BDS movement more than she loves her own granny, which is a sad commentary. Now, um, I think it's pretty funny that Tlaib immediately acquiesced and made it sound as if it was her grandma because she wanted to get into the country so she could cause drama. And then after examining the information, realized that she wouldn't be able to cause drama. She wouldn't be able to cause a ruckus. And, and even more than that, I think it's funny that if Israel is so horrible Israel is so awful. Why would she allow her grandma to live there? Why does she not apply for a visa to bring her grandmother to the United States if Israel is this awful, awful place that she claims it is? So now she actually says it's too humiliating for her to go there. And Israel's interior minister, Ari Derry, says it's clear that this was a well-orchestrated stunt by Tlaib. He says, I authorized this humanitarian trip, but it turns out that it was a provocation to embarrass Israel. Her hatred for Israel overcomes her love for her grandmother. So it was a stunt. She said, when I won, it gave the Palestinian people hope that someone will finally speak the truth to the inhumane inhumane conditions. I can't allow the state of Israel to take away that light by humiliating me and use my love for my city, which is her nickname for her grandma, to bow down to their oppressive and racist policies. Unbelievable. She says now she's worried about her family's safety in Israel, of all places. 
She says, silencing me and treating me like a criminal is not what she wants for me. It would kill a piece of me. I've decided that visiting my grandmother under these oppressive conditions stands against everything I believe in and fighting against racism, oppression, and injustice. And Omar Tlaib has been sidelined completely. So if you're wondering exactly what they plan to do, I just found their itinerary. We'll go over that as well when we get back. (laughs) Stay right there. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative, and that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hey, everybody. Hey, Friday friends. Welcome back to the show. I am just so, so, I find it annoying, actually. It is, it is funny. It is, like I said, reality TV, political reality TV. This is bombing up in their faces. If you ask me, I know they feel like they, they want to humiliate Israel, but Israel actually comes out smelling like a rose here because they enforce their own policies. They stood by their own laws and they offered a humanitarian option for her to visit her grandmother that they didn't have to offer. And so it makes her look like the person who's a stunt puller and really someone who feels perfectly fine wasting the time of diplomats and nation states with her chicanery. It makes her look bad. I know, you know, the Israeli uh, foreign minister, he, he makes a good point, but I don't feel like Israel is humiliated in the least. So 
you, we, we were just, I just mentioned at the top of the show, I was like, oh, you know, I, I, what were they planning on doing? And I mentioned the visit to Jerusalem. Was it visit to West Bank? Well, here is, um, some information from Matt Vespa over at townhall.com. And Matt is amazing. Um, he does some just fantastic stellar reporting over there. And these women, um, were planning on visiting Israel. And here is what they planned on doing. So, first of all, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, not to be left out of her squad members being a fool, has also entered into the fray saying that it, this is all President Trump's fault. He's exporting his bigotry and making matters worse. And, you know, they, she says, members of Congress are frequently asked to visit Israel to, quote, see things for ourselves. And so that's what we wanted to do. She tore into Israeli Prime Minister Bibi after he announced he wouldn't let them in. And, you know, she says some Americans are welcome to Israel, but not all. Now, here's their tentative agenda. According to their own itinerary, Omar and Tlaib chose to refer to Israel as Palestine. Here, Their, their tentative agenda is entitled U.S. Congressional Delegation to Palestine. They say... We're departing Washington, D.C. on Saturday, the 17th of August to Tel Aviv. Then they're having a Jerusalem day starting at 945 a.m. They're going to have a welcome and working lunch with U.S. Embassy country team. Objective, congresspersons understand the country, political dynamics, and security situation. And then they're going to meet with representatives from Anera. Mercy Corp and UNRWA, U-N-R-W-A, to discuss the impact of funding cuts on humanitarian relief and development projects. Objective, congresspersons to understand the impact of congressional and state department aid cuts on humanitarian assistance and development projects. So in other words, we want to understand why the government is cutting money to programs that aid Palestinians and in Palestine, but they go on. And this is embarrassing for them, not for Israel, for them. They're actually planning to go to a country and call it by another country's name. Not even another country. Palestine doesn't exist right now. They're terrorist sympathizers. They're anti-Semites. And they're absolutely going there to make a scene. They compare BDS to the Boston Tea Party, which is one of the most spurious comparisons they could ever make. And they claim that boycotting Israel is the same as boycotting the Nazi party, as if Israel has literally committed acts of genocide against multiple millions of people, as the Nazis did. Omar has also, just just in case people are wondering, what has she done that has upset them so much? She's hosted secret fundraisers for groups with terror ties. Tlaib once hosted an event for an anti-Israel activist who endorsed terrorism. So, you know, I mean, are you wondering why they're not going to be let in? I know I am. They just sound like peaches and cream, don't they? Aren't these two the ones you want? One of them has a mouth worse than a sailor. Sorry, sailors. You guys are probably awesome. But this woman curses like any roughneck you've ever encountered at, at a, a dive bar. And she carries herself like a man. And... She and and Ilhan Omar are going to go into Israel, calling it Palestine, and do uh, do what with themselves? I mean, their their essential message to Israel is that they hate it and want it destroyed. They want to refer to Israel as Palestine in official delegation documents with the U.S. congressional seal on them. You, you it doesn't get any crazier than this. So Ilhan Omar also had words when she heard she couldn't go into Israel. She said Trump's Muslim ban is what Israel is implementing this time against two duly elected members of Congress. Well, this isn't a Muslim ban because there are Muslims in Israel. Muslims are actually elected to uh, the government in Israel. Muslims have a free and open society in Israel and are, are welcomed and able to really, they, they're freer there than they are in other countries in the Muslim world, other Muslim countries. Um, so her idea that she can 
kind of harken back to the Muslim ban, which turned out not to be a ban because there are just millions of Muslims in America. So if it's a ban, why are Muslims still here? And that's that's not because I don't want Muslims here. I'm saying if it's a ban, then that means people can't be here. If people are here, then it's not a ban. You can't have it both ways. Words have to have meaning. We have to have something we can rely on in order to communicate with each other. So I'm I'm chalking this up to um, just an, a very interesting dynamic that these two have where they seek to draw attention to themselves and they, they kind of set up these kind of PR opportunities, right? And a lot of people do this. I mean, everyone has done this before. You you shoot a video like the, the viral video that I've had, my little one and only. Um, it's one that I honestly, it was one that I just kind of, I literally shot it in my car. And I, I did think to myself, hmm, could this be like a viral video? It was right after the election in 2016. And that's what happened. It, it was a viral video, you know, almost 40 million views around the world. Um, and it got me a quite a quite a little bump on my social media. But things like that can also backfire, right? Um, you can have people who literally set something up to make it a viral video or a viral visit in this case. And what will happen is, you know, it it just backfires in their face. And that is what we see here. They have had an opportunity that they could have used to do almost anything. They could have highlighted the plight of Palestinians in a respectful way. They could have asked for unity or for more conversation surrounding whatever the issues were that they wanted to have uh, come to the forefront. And, and I mean that strictly from the position of if you actually have something you want to get done, maybe you actually have something you're interested in getting done for the Palestinian people. And if you bring the light of day to that with media attention, it could bring conversation to the fore, but you can't do that by going to someone's country and saying, this country is, you know, like Nazis, this country will, you know, X, Y, and Z. You can't have it both ways. So there's that. Um, And I I did give you the itinerary. So we'll, you can find that information. If you want to look at the itinerary for yourself and see that that on townhall.com, they actually circled the word um, Palestine, congressional delegation visit to Palestine. They circled it and put an arrow under it. Um, If you... If you want to take a look at that, you can. Um, So now I want to get to something that's super fun that we're now able to do. Uh, And first of all, how happy are you that we're now doing regularly the Second Amendment report? Yeah, I feel you. I'm happy about it, too. (laughs) So let's get into it. It's Stacy on the right, and this is the Second Amendment report. All right, so this is from The Armed Citizen. And I want to share these stories with you because they're encouraging and they're debunking the lies of the left where they try to act as if defensive gun use isn't a thing. They try to act as if armed citizens across this country aren't silently being a part of the protective first responders of this nation by simply being well-armed and well-trained and being willing to reach out and help a citizen in their time of need. So a cabbie picked up a fare on the campus of Indiana State University. This is during his mid-morning shift. And after entering the cab, the passenger gave the driver directions to a nearby apartment. Now, the passenger was taken to the address. And as he exited the vehicle, he suddenly pulled out a gun and tried to rob the cab driver. In response, the cabbie grabbed his own gun and shot the passenger who ran away. Police found the would-be robber after he called for (laughs) 911. The injured man was taken to a local hospital and treated for his non-life-threatening injury and then charged with armed robbery. The cab driver not facing any charges. If you want to find that story, it's at fox59.com. And it's from uh, a couple months ago. I love these. I love these. In Washington state, a homeowner defended themselves against a vagrant who'd broken into the house. He asked the vagrant to leave, but the transient man refused and began to come through the back door aggressively. He then attacked the owner of the home. In response, the homeowner grabbed a piece of wood and began to defend himself in the kitchen. 
But this did not deter the homeless man. So now the homeowner is afraid for himself and his wife. He goes, gets his gun, fires a single shot, and he's not facing any charges. But the homeless man is uh, actually facing charges for first-degree residential burglary. But he has to first be released from a hospital because he has a gunshot wound to the chest. And then in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, an employee at a grocery store was actually working and minding his own business when a masked man entered early in the morning and the robber had a gun. He demanded money or he said he claimed he was going to shoot them. And uh, one employee grabbed a gun and fired as the armed robber tried to jump over the counter and assault them. The employee shot the robber who collapsed on the floor after being struck in the side and paramedics took the injured man to the hospital where he later died. The clerk was not charged by the police who considered it a self-defense case. Now, what's encouraging about these is that in these instances, none of the people who were attacked were harmed. And I just want to point out that no one wants to use their firearm in self-defense. But if you have to, you're thanking God that you had it with you and you were armed and ready to go. And so that's a Second Amendment report. I love those. A good guy with a gun, self-defense. That's the best. Um, Because remember, all of these things are actually initiated by the perpetrators. So if a perpetrator initiates a an attack and attacks someone, they're basically taking their lives into their own hands. And what happens afterwards is solely their fault if someone defends themselves. Um, so have you guys been hearing about, and I know we don't talk about him often on the show. I have played audio from him before because he's like a broken clock on Islam, which, you know, that's one time of the day where he's correct. And then on the perfidy of the left in shooting themselves in the foot, he's actually kind of brilliant on that topic, even though he's still a leftist and he wants leftists to win. So I'm talking about Bill Maher. Now, there's a interesting dynamic with him because he's rich. So he regularly wishes on his program for America to go into a recession. Now, he speaks for most of the media because and, and here's why. Why would someone who lives in America and is impacted by things that happen in America wish for bad things to happen to Americans at large, but specifically Americans who cannot inoculate themselves against the effect of a recession? Well, Bill Maher does this for exactly that reason. He's not impacted by a recession. Yes, he might lose money, but during recessions, wealthy people often they're, they're prepared for a recession. They know that recessions come and go. They're cyclical. So during recessions, when businesses fail or lose value, they swoop in and they buy shares of those businesses. They buy stakes in businesses. They will buy businesses that are going out of business, revamp them, bring them back up to speed. And when the recession ends, they, th- those, those companies are now operating in the black and they sell them and make even more money. So recessions are an opportunity for some wealthy people, those who are primed and ready to go and know what they're doing, to actually increase their wealth. So Bill Maher is, he's no dummy. He's been rich for a long time. So when he wishes for a recession so that Democrats could win, what he's really saying is, I would like to make some extra money right now. And if that means people will lose their homes and families will break up and kids will be hungry and, you know, lots of Americans might go on welfare, well, so be it. It's fine. If it means that small businesses that have just launched during this boom time might experience such drops in their, um, you know, their sales that they end up going under and the dreams and hopes and aspirations of millions of Americans who've really kind of taken this economy with both hands and they're, they're on it for, for the duration, um, If those people lose a whole lot, well, so what? As long as Democrats are in charge and as long as I can make some money. And that's the nastiness of this man. He needs Jesus Christ, first of all. I can't leave that out of this equation. The reason he's so depraved and indifferent to the suffering of other Americans and that he's such a power seeker, uh, like a warmonger, but for power, a power monger. The reason he's like that is because he doesn't know Jesus Christ. He is completely oblivious to his own sin condition. So here's, here's Peter Schiff. Um, Fox business actually had Peter Schiff of Euro Pacific capital on the show. And he told them that the uh, recession is coming. There's a recession coming. He said, recession is coming. Trade war is lost. The only question 
is when do we surrender and how do we admit to be now remember I told you guys I'd actually gotten a chance to interview um Art Laffer and the thing he, he it was a great interview he's a he's a brilliant dynamic man very very nice one of the nicest people I've ever met in person and he said if you don't have optimism you don't have anything in an economy a lack of optimism means you have nothing and that's what the Democrats want so they can make money and watch other Americans suffer. You got to hate that. Stay there. We'll be right back with the last segment. First, I hold my hands out like they're on a steering wheel. Then I look over my shoulder. One. Okay, cool guy. Two. Three times. Next. Oh, I put it in reverse. Meep, meep, meep. Then I take it up and down. Up, up, and down. And that, kiddos, is called the forklift. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now that's dancing. Sure beats flossing. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that after 75 years, Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when it's dry or windy. Be careful burning yard waste, because wildfires can even start in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Hey, everybody. Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in! Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm Little Teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle and here is my spout. No, no, like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout. Me over it. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey, welcome back to the program. Find out more at listen.stacyontheright.com. That is where you can find the podcast and share it. Let's grow this program. Let's fight back. Contract termination is awful, but guess what? The emergency podcast system has been activated and you are a part of this. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You can also go to patreon.com slash stacyontheright or PayPal. PayPal.me or yeah, PayPal.me slash stacyontheright.com. You know what? I just totally messed that up. PayPal.me slash Stacy on the right. Okay. So that's how you can find the link to donate to the show. And if you mail us anything, please make it out to Stacy Washington. Um, my actual legal name is Stacy Washington. Um, and that's the only thing that I can accept, uh, actual, you know, checks and things like that under my actual name. Um, Stacy on the right is not my actual name. So, uh, now we were just talking about 
Adam Schiff. He has a very interesting name. Um, he said that the trade war is lost. When do we surrender? How do we admit de- defeat? The dollar is going to go through the floor. It's going to take the bond market with it in the next crisis. It's not subprime mortgages. It's going to be in the treasury market. This is going to be an inflationary recession. There's no way out. It's a political disaster for Trump because the recession is going to start before he finishes his term, which means he won't have a second one. So what's this guy's claim to fame? Well, Schiff forecast the global recession of 2008. He also predicted a recession seemingly ever, every year since. Every year since the recession of 2008, this guy Schiff has predicted another recession. Now, Luis Pablo de la Hora of the Foundation for Economic Education listed Schiff fifth among the five worst economic predictions in history. So topping the list was Irving Fisher predicting the stock market boom right before the crash of 1929. And this is kind of an analysis of everything he's ever written and the accuracy of it. Well, it turns out that uh, Schiff became famous in the aftermath of the 2007-2008 financial crisis for having foreseen the housing crash back in 2006, which takes us to broken clock syndrome, right? Since then, he's been predicting economic catastrophes every other day with very limited success. There are many failed uh, predictions as examples of, of his just, he's on, he's, he's like, he's on record on repeat. He just keeps saying that the economy is going to crash. So you can look back at a 2010 video where Schiff foretold the quantitative easing, um, that it would result in hyperinflation and the eventual destruction of the dollar. Unfortunately for Schiff, the average inflation rate per year since the onset of QE has been 1.68, which is slightly below the 2% target of the Fed. Now, past performance is no guarantee of the future. Um, it, it's an indicator. It can help you project. You can extrapolate with past results and you can forecast what might occur. And that extrapolation can be wildly inaccurate or it can be very close. Um, it, it really, you, but you can't tell the future. Now, there are times where you can say, wow, economically speaking, these three indicators or matrices are moving in a direction that tell us we are probably looking at, you know, inflation or an economic downturn or a boom, whatever. And analysts often will do those forecasts and intelligent people will look at those forecasts and say, okay, um, yeah, so we have this over here. We have that. Over, we, you know, we can, we can definitely feel out what exactly is about to happen, but you don't know for sure. You can wake up the next day and be totally accurate, or you can wake up and it's everything is as it was the day before and you're inaccurate. This guy just happens to have a record of being extraordinarily inaccurate. And so why would we keep listening to him? And I'm kind of surprised that he was on Fox Business with this dramatic wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it, it might be because they want to be fair and balanced and they want to present, you know, commentators from both sides and so they're doing their best in, in that way um that that could be so now i want to pivot over to the article that i wrote over at life zet trump is not one to be hoodwinked here's why he must watch powell because we're talking about finance here so this is right in, the, in line with that now the chairman of the federal reserve now has no bigger friend in washington than a certain democratic senator who happens to be a 2020 candidate And, um, you know, the reason why that's important to note is that that candidate actually opposes everything that President Trump wants to do. So I start the piece off by talking about Supreme Court Justice Souter, who was a nominee, who was hailed as a home run hit on the right side of the political spectrum during the beginning of the Bush one presidency. Now, Souter didn't have a huge record. He had served on the First Circuit Court of Appeals for just a few months, and then he was successfully confirmed. His rhetoric had a way of making conservatives blush. And that was with good cause because it turned out that Souter was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was a far cry from a conservative hero that he seemed to play on camera. He became one of the staunchest liberals on the court. 
Throughout his 19 years on the bench, he took anti-religious freedom and pro-abortion opinions that made Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer look like textualists by comparison. As he quickly became an embarrassment to former Bush administration officials, as well as his many early conservative backers across the country, he retired. He served from October of 1990 to June of 2009, but his legacy and impact remained strong. Today, the Trump administration has a David Souter figure of its own, and his name is Jerome Powell. In November of 2017, President Trump nominated Powell to chair the Federal Reserve. He received the trust of the president and the Republican-controlled Congress for suggesting he would take up the priorities of many limited government advocates, including deregulating the financial sector from the post-Great Recession creep of socialized control. His spoken desire was to cut red tape drastically. And this drew the ire of Senator Elizabeth Warren. She actually delivered a, a floor speech, just completely railing against his nomination. She grilled him during his confirmation hearings. She actually did it in such a way that she had like made for TV YouTube clips that were just, you know, going viral. But today, Powell has no bigger friend in Washington than Senator Elizabeth Warren. In late July, Warren introduced legislation to put more control of the private economy into the Federal Reserve's hands. And just 15 days later, Powell's Fed announced plans to give her everything she asked for, a bureaucrat-ran, real-time payment system. Now, real-time payments means exactly what you would guess, an immediate bank transfer of funds. Without a doubt, it's a good thing to have if left to the free market. However, to centralize control, Warren and Powell appear fine with taking away the keys from private sector companies that already have the ball on the field and are operating it and running the game. Likely costing upward of $1 billion, the Fed system, which is not needed in case you're wondering where this is going, will not be compatible with private sector alternatives. It would slow roll innovation for at least three to five years. And has even been said to violate the Monetary Control Act, which stipulates that the Fed can only get involved if the private sector cannot deliver, which is clearly not the case here because we already have real-time transfers in, in place, private companies that are doing that. So, of course, Warren doesn't care about the law. She doesn't care about what's best for the private sector. She just wants to put as much of the financial sector as she can under the control of bureaucrats. Just that's that's her thing. But it should matter for Powell because he was confirmed because he expressed a desire to unleash the free market in the banking industry. Now, President Trump does criticize Powell's Fed every other week on Twitter, like he's he's constantly hitting them about the face. But never before has the Fed chairman so blatantly defied the deregulatory agenda of the man who nominated him as what we're seeing now. So somewhere, David Souter has to be laughing about how Powell, once a public enemy of the left, is now doing its bidding, advancing Elizabeth Warren's agenda, receiving praise from the likes of Maxine Waters and others. And, you know, the White House should be the driver here. The White House should actually point the direction out for the next steps. The central bank often acts more politically than partisan politicians. Time and time again, the Fed has seemingly manipulated interest rates to tip the scales in favor of Democrats during election cycles, which I think is what happened uh, when George Bush was leaving office and all of a sudden the country, just everything was fine. And all of a sudden, right before he's due to end his second term, we're in a recession. And he went out on this under this cloud of you know negative news about the economy. So who's to say that Powell's Fed hasn't thought about doing so already? So in past cases of disloyalty, President Trump has been swift and decisive, and he should do so here as well. There's only one person in the entire country who rivals the president in terms of power, and that's the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Because of this, having someone who's like a Benedict Arnold installed there is incredibly dangerous. The president has an impressive economic record. It's fantastic. And to prevent the Fed's real-time payment system from going into effect, the president has to be firm and decisive and use every piece of leverage and authority he has to keep the Fed in line and hold Powell to his past rhetoric. Now, Trump has already acted swiftly to dismiss 
a whole bevy of disloyal staff members and advisors from the White House, but none have presented as severe of a threat to his agenda and his electoral prospects as has Powell. The president is not one to be hoodwinked, and I hope and sincerely pray that President Trump will move against Powell. I mean, he's got to go in hard. Disloyalty cannot be tolerated, and I don't mean that in the whole Gestapo terminology, but no Democrat would ever put up with the Fed chairman acting like he loved Republicans. So he was installed by a president who's a Republican, and if he doesn't want to work in line with those policies and deregulation, then he should step down. And if he doesn't step down, the president should step in and rein him in. And I think this is a really great point to make right now. And I hope that you'll go to lifeset.com and uh, tweet. In fact, um, you can go to my Twitter feed. Um, I'm actually CCing uh, at real Donald Trump on this one. Who knows? He might see it. Um, so what I'm hoping that he'll do is that he'll do what I'm suggesting here in this op-ed. Um, and I hope that you will share the op-ed, retweet it over at my Twitter feed. Um, and <laughs> so let's get into the 2020, a little bit of 2020 chat as we're closing out the show here. Uh, apparently, President Trump last night at the rally ripped Joe Biden's plan to scale back his campaign. He says, if I ever did that, it would be over. Last night, if you weren't paying any attention, President Trump was in Manchester, New Hampshire, and they had a record turnout, the largest turnout for the particular venue where they were located. It was a MAGA rally of all MAGA rallies. Uh, of course, President Trump railed against Biden. He called him a disaster. And there's a report out there that the 2020 Democratic frontrunner might be trimming back public appearances after many weeks of making verbal errors. Um, President Trump says the fake news would get him like crazy if he ever did that. Now, you might be thinking, where were they? Well, uh, they were at the SNHUA arena. And the last time the attendance there was this large was a record level of attendance held by Elton John, who did a concert there. Well, it turns out President Trump broke that all-time attendance record. He smashed right through it. And of course, New Hampshire is, you know, that's battleground territory. You have to go there. You have to, you have to campaign there. And so to have that kind of turnout is fantastic. Now, I know Fox News has a poll out that kind of predicts that the president will be unable to beat any of the individual candidates. You have to wonder, who did, who, who, who'd they poll? Who did they ask? So if you go to Drudge, yesterday I noticed this, uh, well, yesterday and today, um, Drudge actually had this big, huge, uh, like the, the banner at the top, Warren packs crowds in New Hampshire, Trump Gret, Drudge Report. Well, this is before President Trump packed the SNHU arena in Manchester, which seats 12,000. Remember, at a Trump rally, you used to have the same number of people inside as outside watching on a jumbotron. Elizabeth Warren had 1,100 people in two events on Wednesday. President Trump had 24,000. And he didn't make the cover of Drudge. What the heck, Matt? All right, happy weekend to you. Righteously American, StaceyOnTheRight.com.